West Bulls, good morning. Hey, if you are brand new at the church here or it's your first time in a church in a long time, um, I just want to tell you that right now you are sitting in a room full of people just like you, which depending on who you're sitting next to could be very reassuring or it can mean you need to hold on to your wallet and purse just a little bit tighter this morning, all right? No, what it means is that we all have something in common. And that thing is this, that every single year, every single year, every single one of us has something or someone that gets in the way, whether it's a struggle or it's a family dynamic or it's a person you have to deal with, but we have someone or something that gets in the way of what Christmas could be and what Christmas should be. And so we're talking about those things this month and we're going through a series called The Grinches Who Steal Christmas. And this morning we're in part two of that series. Last week, Dave McDonald kicked off the series. And if you didn't get to see that, go to westbulls.com and check it out. It is worth your time. Now, as we thought about this idea, I immediately thought of the junior hires and the high schoolers here at the church. Because it was during that time in my life that I had this phrase that would go through my mind. And it was this, if only, if only, if only I had more money, if only I had a car, if only I had that girlfriend, if only I had that clothing, if only life looked a certain way, then I would be satisfied, I'd be fulfilled, and I'd be content. And then Christmas magnified all this for me. Because if I looked at my life when Christmas came around and I got any of that stuff that would make me, that I thought would make me content, then it was a good Christmas. But if I didn't, then it was a, it was a horrible Christmas in my mind. And so as I look back now, I realize that the Grinch that stole Christmas for me year after year after year was the Grinch of discontentment. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, here's what you need to know. Discontentment makes people do some really interesting things. And right now, I want to give you a hypothetical scenario. And I want you to just, as I go through it, think through what would you do in this scenario, okay? So there's a young boy. First day of second grade, he goes to his class, and the teacher looks at him, and I think in her mind, she would think, that's not a second grader. He looks younger than that. And so she takes him to a first grade class, and the first grade teacher looks at him, and she's like, it's not in my class. And that first grade teacher takes him to another first grade teacher. And so he, he gets a little bit older, and he gets into junior high and still looks younger than his age. And so one day, after lunch, out on the uh, football field, he's playing football with his friends, and the recess lady who's in charge of the, watching the field in the playground, she comes over to him because she thinks he is the elementary school-aged kid of one of the teachers at the school, and it was take-your-kid-to-work day. And so he had to stand with her all through recess. Did I mention this is a hypothetical situation? Okay. <laughs> So he gets to high school and he's got a group of friends that they like to make fun of him because they think his face looks like the baby's face on the side of a Gerber baby food jar. And they gave him a nickname, Gerber baby. Everywhere he went, Gerber baby. And he had this thought, if only, if only I looked older. And then one day, again, just hypothetically, he is um, at, at a church and and he happens to be around some youth, and there's this activity that they have on a Friday night. And this parent pulls up and gets out of the car and asks him, 
hey, where are all the leaders? And he says, oh, well, I'm one of them. And the parent just kind of laughs and tells their kid to get back in the car and they leave. (laughs) And the thought in his head is just, if only. So like a decade goes by and let's just pick a hypothetical age, like 33 years old, okay? (laughs) And so he's at this church again and there's a young person who's trying to guess how old he is. And based on his appearance, even though he, he's 33, hypothetically, they guess 40 years old. <laughs> and so he just feels hypothetically really insecure about it. And he drives home and he looks in his hypothetical mirror and he realizes that his hair is hypothetically thinning And his hairline's hypothetically receding a little bit. And so he goes down to his hypothetical computer and he types this hypothetical phrase. And it says, best hairstyles for a receding hairline. (laughs) Okay, just shoot straight with me. How bad is it? Is it bad? (sighs) Why are you clapping? This is my struggle. I struggle with this, okay? If only I had more hair. (laughs) Well, one statement I want to give you this morning. Because he gives enough, I won't grab for more. Because he gives enough, I won't grab for more. And that's a statement that I pray this morning will challenge an assumption that we all have and we all make. I pray that it will open our eyes to a reality that we just cannot afford to miss. And I pray that it will remind us of a truth that we must, must, must hold on to. And on top of all that, I pray that it would cause us to engage with Christmas this year, what Christmas could be and should be, in a way that maybe we never have, so that when we get to December 26th this year, that we'll be able to look back at Christmas and know that it wasn't stolen by the Grinch of discontentment. And so if you have your Bibles, our text this morning is Hebrews chapter 13. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up on screen for you in just a few minutes here. But as you're turning there, first, an assumption that we all make, and that assumption is this, I need more. That if only I have more, then I would be filled. Because that's a statement, if only, that goes through all of our brains, doesn't it? If only. If only there was more money in the bank account. If only I had that car. If only I had better furniture. And we're always looking for more quantity or more quality. More quantity of stuff, more quality of stuff. Well, the writer of Hebrews, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. This is verse 5, and we're going to just look at part of the verse. We're going to look at the whole thing in a little bit. But look look what they say. Be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. I think we expect children to struggle with this issue. You know, I, I remember, I look at our kids constantly and I think, man, those were the days. They get to do everything they want. 
But do you remember being a child? You remember thinking, I don't get to do anything I want. Our six-year-old, Lainey, we were out in Nebraska last week, and she lost her first tooth. And, and we're out there, and I'm, I'm asking Kara, I was like, do we have any quarters? Do we have any dollars? And she doesn't have any. Nobody has any. And all I've got is a $5 bill. And I'm like, five bucks for a tooth? So I wanted to be a good tooth fairy, you know, live up to it. So for that first tooth, we decided, okay, five bucks. Put it under her pillow. And she's, she's really excited. We get home. And on Monday, she goes to school, and she loses her second tooth. I'm like, this wasn't supposed to happen yet. She was supposed to forget about the five. So I put a, I put a quarter, or, or no, it was a dollar, under her pillow. And the next morning, what do you think she wanted? More. She wanted more. And see, you can see it in children, and I think we understand when teenagers go through it, because I remember being a teenager and just feeling stuck in discontentment because there was a girl I wanted to take on a date, but to do that, I needed more money, which meant I needed a job that I didn't have, which meant I needed a car to get to that job, which I didn't have, which meant I needed a driver's license to operate that car. And so as a teenager, I was just stuck in this world of discontentment. And so I think we understand it when you see a teenager go through it. But do you know who this was written to? The book of Hebrews is a pretty complex book. And it's nothing against children, but my own brain, my adult brain, has trouble understanding concepts in it. It's a letter that's written to a group of adults. And it addresses some things that adults go through. It's like God knew that when he inspired the writer of Hebrews to write this, it's like he knew that one day, a couple millenniums from the writing of that letter, that there would be adults who live in these big structures called houses. And those houses would have these big spaces in them. And in one space, you could go watch TV. And in another space, you could store food. And in another space, you could go eat that food. And then in another space, you could go sleep. And then they have this other big space in them called a garage. So that not only when the adults go to bed at night and go to sleep, they can stay warm, but their car can stay warm. And then they have enough money to eat three big meals, but also a smaller, these are fun meals. They're called snacks. I don't know if you've heard of those. They're really fun. And it's like God knew that adults would look around and they'd have all that stuff and still struggle with being content with what they have. And then it's like God knew that these same adults, they would come up with one day a year for giving thanks for everything they have called Thanksgiving but what would happen is they would cut that day short to get sleep, to run out at 2 o'clock the next morning for this other day they created called Black Friday. And at 2 in the morning, they would rush into this store to buy a bunch of stuff they were never going to buy in the first place. But it was on sale. And then some of them, I don't know if you heard of this, I think it was just like a week ago, they packed tasers in their purses and some of them got in line and because someone got the thing that they wanted so bad, they tased somebody in line. That actually happened last week in England. And there's this assumption that we make and we walk around with. That if I just have more, that that will fill me. Which leads us to a reality 
that we cannot afford to miss. And the writer of Hebrews, you know what they knew? They knew that to tie our contentment to having more, that's a trap. And it's a trap that's tied directly to what they say right before they say, be content with what you have. Look at, look at the beginning of verse 5. It says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Let me ask you a question, okay? Assuming, assuming that you're a law-abiding citizen and stealing is not an option, what do you most of the time need to get more than what you currently have? Go ahead, what do you need? Money. Money. And so because I'm just nerdy about numbers, we're going to do a little bit of math this morning, okay? Let's say hypothetical situation, for real this time, hypothetical situation... For real, hypothetical. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. All right. The iPhone 6 comes out tomorrow. Ryan, hypothetical. He's like, what? He's almost out of here. iPhone 6 comes out tomorrow. When the iPhone 5 came out, you could see those things on eBay for between five and $600 without a phone contract. So the iPhone 6, let's say it comes out tomorrow and it's $600. If you don't have $600, what do, you, what do we do to earn money when we don't have it? You work. Yeah, you give effort over time. Now, I know some people that $600, that is one hour's worth of work. It's pretty incredible. A lot of people I know, that's 30, 40, 50, 60 hours worth of work. Let's just say, hypothetically, you work in a church. That is 1,200 hours <laughs> worth of work. Just kidding, elders. <laughs> it, was, it was a hypothetical situation. You know, I'm going to just keep talking because I'm going to get fired. All right. So 1,200 hours. And now, whether you have to give one hour or 40 hours or 1,200 hours, that's still time of years that you have to give. Now, if you're giving one or 40 or 1,200 hours of your time to something, do you know what it becomes more difficult to give your time to? The few verses before this one tell us. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 1 says this, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Emphasis, relationship. Verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers. Emphasis, relationship. Verse 3, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Emphasis, relationship. Verse 4, marriage should be honored by all. Emphasis, relationship. Relationship suffers when we spend all of our time trying to go earn money for something that we think is going to fill us. Do you know what the average amount of time a parent spends with their children in the U.S. per week right now is? Average amount of time that a parent spends with their children per week. For mothers, it's 13 and a half hours. For fathers... You ready for this? Seven and a half hours. 
So if you give 60 hours of your time to earning money for something that you're sure is going to fill you, mothers, that's about a month's worth of time with your children. You really want to give all that away for a phone? Fathers, that's two months worth of time with your children. You're going to give all that up for a phone? And then Apple does this really malicious thing to us. That iPhone 6 that you worked so hard for, you know what they do? They make it totally outdated. Because what do they come out with? Yeah, the iPhone 7. I mean, do they not know what this does to people? And soon it'll be the iPhone 10 and the 50 and the 100, and it just keeps going. And so money has been spent and time is gone and a relationship has suffered and the thing that we were so sure was going to fill us fails us because it's broken, it's outdated. And maybe the worst part of all of this is that your heart, that before that thing, that more, that iPhone came along, your heart that needed or didn't need to be filled up by that now needs more to be filled up. And our heart has moved from where it used to be and where it should be. Because having more never ever fills us and always, always fails us. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And then he reminds us of a truth that we absolutely must hold on to, and it's this. That God's faithfulness to us is more than enough for us. God's faithfulness to us is more than enough for us. Look at the end of verse 5, if you have your Bibles. We're up on the screen. It says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, he doesn't just pull this out of the air. I think this is so rich about the Bible. He doesn't just pull this out of the air. What he's doing here is he's reaching back from generations and generations before to a conversation between God and a man named Joshua. And this is one of the biggest moments in the timeline of the nation of God's people. And it's a moment where God, he says, Joshua, generations ago, I told a man that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I told them that those descendants one day would be, they'd be strangers in a land not their own. And that they would be mistreated and they would become slaves. But he said, I, Joshua, I'm going to deliver them out of slavery. And they're going to come out of it with great possessions and the land I promised today. And he says, Joshua, get ready. Because I'm about to make good on that promise in my way, 
on my time. And it's about to happen. So get ready and get these people ready because you're about to cross the River Jordan into the land I have promised. And God goes on and he says, no one will stand against you all the days of your life. No one. And then he says, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. And then he says it, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You think, as you were with Moses, but as you think about it, God used Moses to bring his people out of slavery and deliver them. God used Moses to bring his people through the Red Sea and protect them. And God used Moses to lead his people through the desert and provide for them. And the whole time they were with Moses, they never saw the great possessions that God had talked about. They never saw this land that God had promised. And they never really had more, but they always had enough because God was with them. And I think the point that God is making to Joshua here and the writer of Hebrews is making here is that it's not about the absence or the presence of God's possessions and his land and his blessings and more. What it's really about is about the presence of the faithfulness of God in their lives and in our lives. There is a gravesite out on the East Coast. And some of you have been there. Maybe you've heard of it. At this gravesite, there are the remains of soldiers who went unidentified, who were killed in World War I, World War II, and the Korean War. It's called the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And at this tomb, when it was first built, it, it was vandalized a little bit. And so what the army did is in 1948, they decided to put a guard there. And it's now known as the Old Guard. And what happens is that every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, at this tomb, there is a guard who walks 21 steps across. They stop for 21 seconds. They do an about face and 21 steps back. And what happens is they are prepared to defend that tomb no matter what it takes. You can go and you can watch this happen. They have a ribbon that you don't cross. Well, we were there about 12 years ago and a kid ran under this thing. And this soldier, in the loudest voice I've ever heard in my life, explained to the kid and basically the whole cemetery, it was that loud, what would happen no matter who, whether it was a child or an adult. What would happen if anyone were to try to mess with the honor of those whose final resting place was this tomb? He was prepared to defend it at all costs. And so this kid's crying. I was crying because I was so scared. <laughs> I was not the kid, okay? This is not a hypothetical situation. <laughs> Promise, all right. But right now, as you sit in your seat at that tomb, there is a soldier standing guard at that tomb. 
Tonight, when you go to bed, this does not end in the daylight hours. It's not a public display. Tonight, when you go to bed, there will be a guard guarding that tomb. When you go through your work week this week, there will be a guard guarding that tomb. During Hurricane Isabel, there was a rumor, and they haven't confirmed this, but there was a rumor that when Hurricane Irene hit the East Coast, that an order was issued from these soldiers' commander to abandon their post for their own personal safety, and they disobeyed the order and stayed there. Hurricane Isabel, a guard stayed there. Two years ago, you might have heard about this giant blizzard that hit the East Coast. They called it Snowmageddon. And that whole time, there was a guard at that tomb. This picture, they believe, was taken on October 29th, 2012, when Hurricane Sandy was bearing down right where the tomb of the unknown soldier was. And there was a Facebook page for this old guard. And the post for that day said, since April 6th, 1948, every minute of every day, we have guarded this tomb. Today will be no exception. And they stood there and guarded the tomb. Think of it. That what hundreds of men and women have done since 1948 for this tomb, your heavenly father is doing in your life every moment of every hour of every day. His faithfulness to us is more than enough for us. And so what does all this mean for our lives? Well, the writer of Hebrews, he tells us, verse 6, he says, So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? You know what he's saying? He's saying the source of what fills me, it's not man. And it's not the things that man thinks about. I mean, is it valid to want more? Yeah. We all want more. We all end up going out and getting more. It's valid. But he's saying as soon, as soon as you tie your contentment and your fulfillment to getting more, well, then man can do a lot to you. But man is not the source of what fills us. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, look, you think that you've got to have that ideal body image. You know, you think you've got to have that car. You've got to have that house. You know, whatever it is. And you know what's driving it the whole time? It's man. You want to impress man. You fear what man's going to think. You want the respect of man. And he's saying, no. He alone has what will fill me. He faithfully gives what will fill me. So I don't have to go looking and try to force something to fill me. Or that three-second version of all that. Because he gives enough, I won't grab for more. Can we say that together? Ready? Because he gives enough, I won't grab for more.
Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Because if you cannot just say that, but you can believe it, then this will make all the difference in your life. This is the difference between having a mentality that I'm a consumer and having a mentality that he is provider. It's the difference between saying, I'm going to go get it and saying, I'm going to let him give it. And it's the difference between saying, if only I had more and he gives enough. This explains so much. This explains so much and points to one being. You know who that is? Jesus. Remember, if you're in church and you don't know the answer to the question, it's Jesus. This points to Jesus. At the end of the most recited prayer in the history of the world, this prayer that Jesus gave us, what's he say? Give us this day our daily bread. Because he knew that God gives enough. And what God gives is more than enough. Jesus said this one time. He said, the foxes, they have holes. And birds, they have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. Okay, just think about that for a minute. Jesus was a carpenter. He could have built himself a place to lay his head. Oh, and he was God. He could have and had it. He said, no, I don't need to grab for more. He gives enough. There's a moment where the devil took Jesus up to the top of a high mountain. He said, see all these kingdoms? All those, I'll give them to you. I will give you all those if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, no. He has what will fill me up. I don't need to go grab for it. So here's the question this morning. What are your if onlys? Where in your life are you assuming that if only, if only I had that, then I'd be filled. You know, maybe you're, you're looking at, at a decision to go thousands of dollars into debt over something that you just, you're sure once, once we have that, it'll fill us. It'll make us content. But what it's going to cost you are thousands and thousands of hours away from relationships. And the energy spent on all that is going to take away from those relationships. And your heart, it's going to just drag it away from your heavenly father. Where are we saying, if only? Where are we assuming, if only? Because I'm telling you, if you're not facing that issue right now, it's coming. And if you, if you decide to compromise, you will never know what your heavenly father could and would have done. And you will never know that when he does give enough, that that was truly a gift from him. And once again, you will look back on this Christmas and it will be yet another Christmas stolen by the Grinch of discontentment. 
But I'm telling you, if in that moment where, oh, it's Black Friday sale and I got to have it and it's an iPhone, if you can just say even out loud if you have to, because he gives enough, I won't grab for more. I'm telling you, you'll find out what God could do. If you say that out loud, they might even give you a free iPhone to go away. (laughs) Because he gives enough, I won't grab for more. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who provides. And you are a God who truly gives enough. And yes, we say, if only, if only, if only, if only, and and we just walk around assuming that if only I had more, that that would make me content. Will you remind us to just push back from that and remind us that your faithfulness to us is more than enough for us this Christmas season and all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week, West Bulls.